Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Award-winning actor and producer Mark Ruffalo joined the Washington Post on November 19th for a conversation about his forthcoming film, Dark Waters. Inspired by true events, the film follows environmental attorney Rob Balot's battle with chemical company DuPont over water contamination in West Virginia. Balot joined Ruffalo on stage as well as community organizer Emily Donovan to discuss the film and their campaign to spread awareness about the ongoing dangers of chemical contamination in areas throughout the country. Let's listen. Um, well, thank you all for being here this morning. I'm Sarah Ellison. I'm a staff writer at The Washington Post. And thank you to Emily, Rob, and Mark for joining us for this really urgent um, discussion. I just want to say that within hours of this event being announced, I got two um, emails in. One was from someone close to the Ohio Manufacturers Association who wanted to frame some of the um, facts of the conversation for us, and also from somebody on the Hill, a staffer on the Hill. So it means that people are really watching this film, and it's um, the implications of it are something that people are quite tuned into. So we're really grateful that you can launch this conversation here. Um, Chris gave such a good introduction. I'm just going to dive right in. Mark, um, how did you come to be involved in this project, to know this story, um, and to be you know, the advocate that you're, you are today? Well, uh, I, I have to frame it with um, moving my family to upstate New York at, at the moment that the uh, fracking boom was happening and making forays into Pennsylvania, uh, where it was ongoing and uh, people couldn't use their water. And that sort of made me aware of this system that was allowing these things to happen. Um, that brought me into a lot of work around water over the years. Uh, and as we were approaching 2016, I, I was moving more into, into producing. And I wanted to meld um, that kind of advocacy work with storytelling, because I think that's really powerful. I'd also done uh, Spotlight. And I saw, um, the, yes, you guys know that movie. I saw the po powerful change, you know, the powerful change that came with mm -hmm. that towards, towards a, a greater justice. And so I read this article in the New York Times. I mean, uh, yeah, the New York yeah. Times Magazine by Nathaniel you can, Rich. You can mention that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually thought, wait a second, that must have been a Washington Post. But uh, I actually, I read that. Or for that. truth, generally. We, have, we like our colleagues as well, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm surprised you guys didn't get there first. Um, I, I actually read that, and I thought, wow, this is probably one of the greatest uh, corporate criminal acts in America spanning a 20-year cover-up that none of us know about. And as I, as I unpacked it, uh, I saw what a meticulous lawyer Rob was, and I also felt like 
there's a veracity to this that, that's unassailable. And so I moved on. And Rob, the story, the, the movie really does, you know, the 20 years that you spent um, fighting, and our, the clock is still going, you're still fighting. Um, I want to talk to you about how, you, you know, we saw in the trailer, you started as a corporate defense attorney working for chemical companies like DuPont. How did you end up where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I started with my law firm, uh, the Taft Law Firm in Cincinnati back in 1990. And for the first eight years of my career, I was you know, trying to help our corporate clients comply with all of the state and federal environmental laws, a pretty complex system, um, you know, which I really thought anything that was bad was on a list, you know, it was some listed hazardous regulated material. And you know, that was the world that I, that I lived in until one day I got a call from a farmer out in West Virginia, Earl Tennant, um, you know, telling me all about cows dying on his, on his farm. And I had no idea what, what was going on. Why was this gentleman calling me? And um, you know, he, I was about to hang up when he mentioned he got my name from my grandmother. Uh, you know, my mom's family grew up in that area. And this, this gentleman had been trying his hardest to, 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 to find somebody there in the local community outside Parkersburg who would talk to him, would listen to him. He had hundreds of cows that were dying on his property. He had gone to the state, he had gone to the federal EPA, he had gone to the company, wasn't getting anywhere, and was just reaching out, pleading for somebody to help. So, you know, having heard that this came from my grandmother, uh, yeah, I agreed to have him come in, and we sat down and looked at what he brought, videotapes, photographs, and you know, it was pretty compelling that there was something clearly wrong going on here, and, and that we thought we could help him. Uh, we had no idea you know, that this was going to involve some completely unknown, unregulated chemical at the time. And I just want to take a, a quick minute to ask you, what are forever chemicals? We're using that term. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, in, in this particular you know, film, we're talking about one of these called PFOA that was used for decades in manufacturing of a whole bunch of different commercial products, including Teflon. Um, but PFOA is one within a large family of chemicals that we now hear referred to as PFAS, P-F-A-S. You know, it's sort of confusing all these acronyms, but um, uh, we now know that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of these chemicals, you know, we're talking about completely man-made chemicals didn't exist on the planet prior to World War II that have come out, um, you know, since uh, right after the war, decades before there even was an EPA in many uh, circumstances, like for example, PFOA. And those chemicals are now all over the planet and they're showing up in drinking water, they're showing up in human blood, um, and they present all kinds of problems. Emily, I have to get to you. Um, and I want to say, too, that Emily's 10-year-old twins, their class is watching the live stream of this, so we should just give a shout-out to them. Hey guys. Um, <laughs> um, but, Emily, you came at this from... You didn't know Rob at all. Um, I want to ask you how you became interested in this topic. Well, like, uh, like the clip before from my testimony in Congress showed, we all woke up in our region to headline news uh, and the Star News telling us that we had these toxins in our water, and it wasn't, they're in our finished water, and they're at these high levels, and they are coming from a former DuPont plant. Um, 
And the whole article is based off of this scientific paper that a researcher uh, at a university in Raleigh, NC State, Dr. Detlef Kanape, just studied the water and found all of these um, chemicals, and he didn't know what to do with them, and so his team just kind of started researching what these were, and we find out that it's the um, replacement chemical for a PFOA in C8. Uh, Gen X is what they were calling it. So that's what made headlines in our community. And so the more I started doing what I think most people do when they find out, what have I been doing to my children? I've been giving them water, which my doctor said I should do, and now it looks like this water is not what I should have been giving them. Um, I'm researching what is Gen X? What are these chemicals? And I'm finding out that they're forever chemicals. And and then I'm learning that, that there's a lawyer who's been fighting in Parkersburg, West Virginia for forever, <laughs> and, um, and that it's gonna take a lot of public outcry in our area to, to initiate change. And so that's kind of what motivated me. I'd like to add just Forever Chemicals, why it's called Forever Chemicals is because of the formulation of these chemicals is so strong it cannot break down in nature. There is no way to break this chemical down and it, when it ends up in our bodies it stays there forever. It is with us forever. We, all of us, there's 99% of human beings have this in our blood. I have it, you have it. And we have it in our blood because we weren't given the choice to decide not to have it in our blood. But this is with us now forever. And that's why it's called foreverchemicals.com and why we've started Fight Forever Chemicals. Uh, that's why it's called Fight uh, Forever Chemicals, and we have started FightForeverChemicals.com as an advocacy group and a, um, a national coalition of the people that have been harmed and are living with it, which is all of us, but people like Emily and her community, Colorado, uh, Vermont. There's many places where there's hot spots in the United States that have these chemicals. Rob, I saw you wanted to say something. Yeah, you know, once these chemicals get out into the environment, they stay there um, for forever. And you know, we're talking about chemicals that have been pumped out since after World War II, and virtually everything that's been pumped out is still out there in our soil, in our water, getting into our blood. And the situation we see in Wilmington, North Carolina, you know, is this really a great example of the problem with this bigger class of PFOS chemicals. You know, it took 20 years to bring the information out about one of these, PFOA, and what it can do, and what, what, what kind of health impacts it has. And as that information was finally coming out, we finally got the company to agree to phase out making that chemical anymore. But they switched. The replacement, another PFAS chemical called Gen X, was phased out and brought out, I mean phased in and brought out into the environment, and is now in drinking water in Wilmington, North Carolina. It's now being pumped into the air and water outside of the West Virginia plant into the Ohio River. So, I mean, it, it's, it just shows you almost kind of what a whack-a-mole game we're dealing with here. As the information's finally coming out about one of these, you know, there's, there's the switch to a new one that's just slightly different. Um, so we've, we've got to really focus on this broad class of chemicals and deal with all of them in a comprehensive way. And can I just yeah. say, it, in the, the facility is located in Fayetteville, 
And we started seeing groundwater contamination for residents in Fayetteville. So this is more than just the Wilmington area. It's impacting everyone that lives around this facility. They're afraid to take showers. They're afraid to do laundry. They're afraid to use the water in their own home right now because of what was released into the air. That's awful. No one should have to live like that. Um, it's, I mean, one of the things that you see when you are watching the film is, Rob, your fight, which is very solitary, feels very solitary for a long time. I want to let people watch a clip from the movie about um, when you're speaking to the original farmer who approached, who knew your grandmother, um, about whether to settle or continue fighting um, the lawsuit. And it's a, it's a key moment, and I just want to give people a chance to watch it. It's Wilbur Tennant as the farmer. Wilbur Tennant, thank yeah, you. Sure. They just say what they done. You're right, they should. And, and it kills me that they won't. But that would mean going to trial and proving that C8 killed your cows. And every scientist who knows anything about any of this already works for these chemical companies. That's not an accident, Earl. Earl, these, these companies, they have all the money all the time, and they'll use it, trust me. I know, I was one of them. You're still one of them. You, you can't be serious. Um, that moment for me, well, let me just ask you, Mark, what were you trying to convey in that scene? I'm, I'm trying to explain to somebody that, um, that there's a difference between justice and um, compensation. And I'm trying to convince someone who, who, who doesn't care about compensation and only cares about justice that the way the legal system is set up is that you don't get both at the same time. He wants to see criminal justice. And I'm telling him that the system is set up uh, to protect the people who have committed the harm by basically buying off his story and silencing him. And, and when you try to explain that to somebody who has such a, a pure sense of justice, it's nearly impossible. And that's what I was trying to do based on what I knew right. Rob was trying to right. do. Right, I mean, Rob, you were somebody who it seems like on all sides you were sort of up. Well, first of all, let me ask you, was there a moment like that in real life? When you were... Yeah, you know, I mean, it was during that case that we found out it was not just the cows that were being poisoned, not just the tenant family and his property, but, you know, we found out that we were dealing with something that was in the entire community's drinking water. And, you know, here we had an individual who was so passionate about, you know, as Mark said, justice, you know, having this information come out. He knew his, his neighbors and his community was being poisoned, and he wanted to find a way, you know, to address that too, uh, which is something, you know, that, that really ignited uh, a passion in me to do the same, and, and really we, we eventually found a way to do that. Um, you know, but it was really his, his dedication to bringing that out that really inspired me to try to find a way to do that, try, try to find a way to, to address the bigger problem that we were seeing here. It went, went far beyond one family and one, one piece of property. 
And what I found so um, compelling was that it was the discovery. It was getting discovery and getting the access to the information that DuPont itself had. That was the way that you built your case. It was to be able to use that information. And that information is not available to, you know, it's a private company. I mean, it's a publicly traded company, but it is a company. Right. And so they have their own, you know, their trade secrets. There are all kinds of, there's all kinds of information that we don't have access to. Um, I, I want to get, because no one here has seen the film, I do want to get a couple of clips in. So I want to give them a chance to look um, at, at something else, um, which is just that you were able to, I mean, there was one point in the film where we're not going to see it, but that when you were driving through um, town and you just realized that, that DuPont, there were, DuPont's name was on a lot of different things in town. It was like DuPont, the town owed the school, the trash cans, the community center. Um, what was that moment like for you? Well, you know, this was a town that, um, you know, I had spent a lot of time in as a child. My mom and my mom's entire family had, had grown up there. We spent, you know, holidays there all the time. Um, you know, but really it was meeting with Mr. Tennant and his family and seeing what was going on there that it really hit me, you know, that this, what a, you know, the entire community really was, um, um, Everybody either worked for the company, knew somebody that worked for the company, or worked at a very similar company right up the road. I mean, this is an area that, that called itself Chemical Valley and still does. So, you know, realizing that, you know, this was not just taking on the company, but it was in, in some sense taking on the community as well that was very convinced, you know, that, that this couldn't possibly be happening because this was the company that had given them their jobs and had sort of helped build the town. Correct. Um, okay, so on, I want to play this clip. Rob, you weren't just sort of um, doing battle with DuPont and trying to convince members of the community. You were also dealing with your own law firm. And I want to play this clip um, for everybody here to see that. Has anyone even read the evidence this man has collected? The willful negligence, the corruption? Read it. And then tell me we should be sitting on our asses. That's the reason why Americans hate lawyers. It's the crap that fuels the Ralph Nader's of the world. We should want to nail DuPont. All of us should. American business is better than this gentleman. And when it's not, we should hold them to it. That's how you build faith in the system. Was your boss really that great? <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I, I'll tell you, this was a story where really a lot of things had to align. The stars had to align for a lot of this to happen. And, you know, I was fortunate uh, to be at the Taft Law Firm, you know, and so I'm there now 29 years uh, this year. Um, that really took a look at this. You know, I was fortunate to have Tom Turp and others, you know, that in, the, in the firm that they saw these videotapes, they saw this information and realized, you know, this. This was something bad, and it, particularly when we started getting more into the documents and seeing what was already known internally and was being withheld um, from the public and the government. Um, you know, and this was not the kind of behavior that we had dealt with with our other clients. So, I mean, this was this was particularly bad um, situation that, you know, I was lucky to have a firm that realized this was the right thing to do. Um, I want to just put up the statement from DuPont again, because they talk about how this um, is a movie that was inspired by real events. Um, and they say that it grossly misrepresents things that happened years ago. Um, claims that our company tried to hide conclusive scientific findings are inaccurate. 
in any movie, there's going to be some artistic license, but Mark, I want to ask you, did, how did you balance that? How did you manage that? Um, you're making a dramatic work. Yeah. You, you're not going to be able to dive into everything. We're, we're spanning 20 years um, in, in two hours. And that, that becomes the challenge, is how, how do you compress time and how do you pull out the, the key significant um, non-submergible story parts to carry the story forward? What we really had to do was cut out things like what happened at the DOJ when they went and they found all of this material and they subpoenaed it from Rob's law firm and they were moving forward with the criminal investigation. Like, we couldn't really get into that. Why did that criminal investigation just suddenly stop out of the blue without any um, uh, reason why? We, we couldn't get into that kind of stuff. There's a lot of juicy stuff in the story that we could not get into. But I, I want to I throw it to Rob, because he yeah, lived it. Rob, did this not happen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, we, I think people, I, I'm really hoping people watch this movie. And, you know, I've also done a book as well right. called Exposure, where I try to go into all of this history, lay all that out, I think I'm hoping people take a look at this, people take a look at the book. There's information available online. There's plenty of information about the fact you know, that this contamination occurred. This, you know, we ended up doing one of the largest human health studies ever done, uh, able to prove that this chemical was causing six different diseases. We had thousands of people exposed. Um, you know, it is now in the blood of everyone. It's in water all over the planet. I mean, these are facts. Um, and the story, you, I think people can see for themselves and they can judge for themselves exactly what really happened um, and, you know, where, where the truth really is here. Um, and I just want to get back to you really quickly, Emily. Um, the, the company that you're looking into, what's their relationship to DuPont? Well, they're the spinoff. And so it's not called DuPont. It's not called DuPont. They're called Comores, um, but they own the old DuPont facility. You go on their website, and they tell having a really long history in chemical making that started with DuPont. You look at the CEO, and he's a former career DuPonter. You look at the plant manager in Fayetteville. He's a career DuPonter. I mean, these are, it's, it walks like a duck. It sounds like a duck. <laughs> it does seem like it just calls itself Comores. It's all a right? shell game. It's this, it's this complex shell game to, to hide culpability, you know? And, and as this, these lawsuits are moving forward, they were draining their assets out of the original DuPont into this new Comores company, dissolving DuPont, rebuilding DuPont, re reintroducing the new DuPont to the, to the world so they could say, well, we didn't know anything about any of this. And it's, it's, uh, it's shenanigans. I mean, you do get the Sorry. sense when you're watching the film that for every two steps forward um, that you take, Rob, there's, there's a step back, that there's something else. There's, the fight is not ever really complete. There are all these moments. And I, I want to just capture, I want to let people watch a bit of the film to capture that frustration and that kind of dynamic. Go back on everything. Well, they're a titan of industry. I mean, they can do whatever the hell they want. Nothing else matters. They can fight you all they want. It doesn't take away from what you've done. Of course it does. It's exactly what it does. 
They want to show the world it's no use fighting. Look, everybody, even he can't craft amazing. He's helped build it. The system is rigged. They want us to think it'll protect us, but that's a lie. We protect us. We do. Nobody else. Not the companies, not, not, the, not the scientists, not the government, us. It's true. <laughs> I was just going to say, is the system rigged, Rob? You know, as a, as a lawyer, um, you know, that, that's dealing with people coming to me saying, we've got a toxic chemical in our water, in our blood. You know, can't we get it out of our water? And can't we get medical testing to tell us what it's going to do to us? And why is the government not doing anything here? I mean, we're looking at a situation where we've, we've got a chemical that's been out there all these years, and you know, PFOA in particular, more information is known about this chemical than probably anything else out there. You know, massive animal studies, human health studies, and we still can't get it regulated at the federal level. You know, so the, you have communities that are being exposed to it, used as guinea pigs, you know, being dosed over and over with this stuff for years, and their only resort is to go to the legal system, you know, to have to try to fight through this process. And I think you see this through the film, how, how difficult that is. You know, meanwhile, the regulatory process, the scientific process, the, the political process, all of that drags on, and it's extremely difficult, you know, to, to, to fight through that. And this is one of those rare circumstances where the community came together actually got the human studies done and actually was able to confirm, you know, that this chemical was causing harm. And yet here still we are. You know, I, I sent a letter to EPA, I think it was 18 years ago, asking them to set federal standards and, and drinking water guidelines for this one chemical. We still can't get that. You know, so people are left having to go to the courts. And it, it's, it's an extremely difficult process. And the, the system is extremely um, flawed in, in how we regulate chemicals. You know, the, the communities that are exposed are told it's their burden. They are the ones who have to prove these chemicals are hurting them. And, you know, to do that is just unbelievably difficult. It's also very slow. I mean, yeah. what we see, you, you know, kudos to you for fighting for as long as you did, but you get the sense as you're watching the film, there's a ticking clock where these, the chemicals still exist and are in people's water like they are in, you know, in Emily's, um, in Emily's town. We had a question come in from somebody on Twitter who was watching this and, and they wanted to know, are there any filters that you can use or that, you know, if you're gonna take some, the matter into your own hands, instead of waiting for Washington or waiting for a lawsuit, what can people do now? Yeah, yeah that's really the, the, one of the more disturbing aspects of all this. I mean, with PFOA, we're talking about a chemical that could be filtered out of the water pretty easily through something called granular activated carbon or GAC systems. I mean, this is not earth-shattering, you know, hyper-technical technology. I mean, this is stuff that's been around for decades. And in fact, as soon as we finally revealed all of this, you know, these filters went on and emissions, for example, out of that plant dropped 99%. You know, we were able to put these water filters in for the communities that were impacted. Um, so there are steps that can be taken. 
um, you know, it's, it's becoming a little more difficult to figure out how some of these new PFOS chemicals are treated. For example, Gen X, some of these other chemicals, we're, we're finding that maybe different types of filtration systems are needed. But the, the step one is people realizing they've been exposed and understanding that this stuff is out there and is, is potentially in their water or in their blood. And then how they can take steps to at least stop that exposure. And luckily, we know of ways to get this out of drinking water so we can at least stop that. But the people that are drinking it shouldn't be the ones having to pay to put these filters in. And these are, you know, this can be expensive, particularly smaller communities. I mean, you're talking about having to put in these big filtration systems that a lot of times are just extremely expensive for these communities to, to do. So it's, it's, a it's a difficult problem, but it's one that can be fixed. Can I, Emily, I was just gonna ask you, you're doing this right now, right? Yeah, and I think what was frustrating in our areas is that we learned through that research paper from Dr. Canape is that, that granulated activated carbon or whatever the filtration system was at our utility system was not working because these replacement chemicals, the Gen X, is clogging the filters faster. And so it's almost like trying to stay one step ahead of the utilities are now struggling because once you think you install something that will um, protect you from PFOA, well then you have to install something new to protect you from Gen X. And so what our stance is it doesn't belong in the environment. It should not be in the air. It should not be contaminating people's wells. It should not be in our river. It should not be contaminating the water that we draw from. It shouldn't be there to begin with because we didn't, these, this is our river. This is, we own the river. The public owns the river. Um, and I think we also need to remember too that this is a country, a nation that was founded on public outcry. Public outcry is exactly what changes things in our, in our country. We ended slavery with public outcry. We got the white to vote for women with public outcry. We, got, um, we ended how we draft into the military with public outcry. We, had, we birthed the civil rights movement with public outcry. It is gonna take public outcry to end these chemicals and how they get used and how our government treats them. And that, there is a powerful network, a national coalition of PFAS contaminated communities and we are all working together. There is an amazing friend of mine in New Hampshire who just gave a TEDx talk and she said, I am just as persistent as PFAS. And that's exactly what we are gonna be, is as persistent as PFAS. So these wow. people, we, you know, I just wanna say, um, we have to focus on these communities, you know, and we have, because they're, they're the receptors of this. They're the ones living with it, right? And today we have Bucky Bailey here. Right. Bucky yeah. Bailey, Mark, Mark, Mark Powers. We have uh, Paul and, and, and uh, Paul and Diane Cotter here. These, you guys want to raise your hands? Yeah, there we go. These are the real people. Could you guys stand up? Yeah, could you so stand up? Would you mind? <laughs> Do you mind? Sorry. These are my friends. Now, they, they're taking time out of their lives. They're, they're leaving their jobs to come to Washington, D.C. This is, this is and, and because they're fighting for a whole group of people. When there's three people here sitting here, you know they're representing 100,000 others, 200,000, a million others. And, and that's what we have to remember, is that, is that there's, we're talking about people. Mm -hmm. And that, that gets lost in, 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 certainly in the politics of it, certainly in this statement. Right. 
I mean, I don't know how they could say that. And if you're so, if you're so ready to make it right, then fork over the bucks. You're making a billion dollars a year off of this chemical. A billion dollars for 20, for 20 years, longer, 50 years, okay? A billion dollars a year just on PFAS? Yes, and you're, and you're whining because you have to pay $670,000 to make one, one class right? I mean, please. It's outrageous. It's outrageous. That statement is outrageous from them. I'm sorry. They, they're the ones who came up with, they're the ones who came up with the limits. They knew it was poisoning people. They, 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 they were the ones who, who had the science. They did the science. They knew. They can't sit here and say they didn't know. It's just not true. I'm sorry. It makes me angry. Um, Rob, one of the things that, you, that, that I learned from the film was just how um, these are chemicals that are unregulated because they were, um, the, DuPont came up with them before they could be regulated. It was, they sort of defined what would be regulated and what would not be. I want to know if you can just quickly sort of capture that because I don't think people totally understand. Yeah, well, we're talking about chemicals that actually were first developed by the 3M company right after World War II, PFOA, and then a related chemical, PFOS, which has been used, for example, in a lot of firefighting foam. And we have folks here who are representing firefighting community as well, which is particularly exposed from firefighting foams. There's but, some new lawsuits on that yes, as well. Yes, yeah. But with, um, you know, we're talking about chemicals that came out right after World War II. The U.S. EPA didn't come into existence until 1970. And the first real federal statute dealing with how chemicals come out on the market and how they should be reviewed didn't come out until 1976. So you're talking about a class of chemicals, particularly PFOA and PFOS, that were out there for decades well before the regulations came in. And when these new laws came out in the 70s, they focused on really the new chemicals, things that were made from that point going forward. And for existing chemicals like PFOA, uh, it was up to the companies that were making them and using them to alert the EPA if they had information suggesting there was a substantial risk of harm. So really the EPA was relying on the companies that were using these to tell them if they had information showing problems. And here we had a situation where there were repeated studies coming out showing problems, and unfortunately that information was not given to the EPA. And as you see in the film, I mean, there's a reference to EPA finally bringing a lawsuit and there was a fine. It was for withholding that information. So these chemicals, the thing that links all these chemicals is that they repel water. Is that the why we want, why DuPont made them? It's in Gore-Tex, it's in I mean, obviously Teflon. Can you talk a little bit about that? What, how can people food, recognize food where containers. you containers? Like plastic food containers? Uh, almost, yeah, plastic food containers, anything that repels oil. So even, even, the, even now they're putting it in the um, comp compostable cardboard food containers that we get from our favorite, um, you know, green organic yeah. stores. It's, it's everywhere. It's in makeup. It's in, it's in our clothing. It's, in, it's, it's everywhere. It's virtually impossible to opt out of our exposure. And, and, and as a highly contaminated community, when I know that my children have been raised on an unsafe level 
of, these, of, of exposure to these chemicals, I as a parent feel it's my responsibility to find ways that I can minimize that exposure. And it is nearly impossible. That's, there, there's no labeling. There's no way to fully understand and disclose where can I opt out of my exposure. I mean, I did an opt-ed recently where we found that there's a study um, that I reference in the op-ed that talks about the majority of Americans that are exposed to PFAS, about 75% maybe approximately, comes from other exposures than water. So we are all being exposed through our air, our soil, um, with these chemicals, and we don't even know about it. So what can people do? I mean, I, I, I recognize there's a limited amount. Yes, there needs yeah. to be a kind of larger solution, but today, what could someone do? Well, oh, yeah. I, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, we, you know, we're launching a um, coalition called um, FightForeverChemicals.com. Um, which is going to bring all of the different community groups that are working on this and um, environmental organizations as well uh, that will make information available to people. You know, right now, this has all gone on for decades without most of us even knowing it was happening or knowing whether we were exposed. And so information will be made available to let you know, you know, what this stuff is, what the potential effects are, where it can be found, how you can have your water tested, where it's been tested, what kind of products uh, and commercial items have these things been used in in the past, what companies are switching away. Um, you know, and again, you know, the reason I put that book together as well, Exposure, right. was to let people know, here's, here's what we do know about these things, you know, so that there's a resource that people can go to to know, here, is the, here are the facts on, on what we know about these chemicals, here's how we got to where we are today, and here are the things we can do moving forward to stop these exposures, to properly regulate these at the federal level. You know, states are being forced really to have to move forward on their own to address these issues. Um, and here's, here's what we can do, all of these communities coming together, all of us coming together to say, we need to change this. We need to stop these exposures. We need to stop this. And here's how hopefully we can provide people the tools to do that. So it'll be, it will be, you know, what products have it, what products don't, who, where you can get products that don't have it, certain things like what kind of filters you can use. Then it'll go into what legislation is happening locally, what legislation is happening federally, who to call, um, what communities are actually in need of support, um, funding those communities directly instead of waiting for the trickle down from the big uh, national green organizations is the most powerful thing you could do to help these people. So it'll, it'll, have, uh, it'll, ha it'll be a, a hub for all that kind of information. Can I also add, um, I think it's important, you know, I, I read Rob's book, and first of all, I think it should be required reading for any scientist um, at any university that is learning how to use PFAS chemistry, they should be required to read this book. Communities that are finding out and you want to learn more, you should be required to read this book. But one thing that I noticed that was um, impressive in the book is he partnered early on with Environmental Working Group. Yes. And they have been the watchdogs that have been leading um, this PFAS from the environmental nonprofit side. And they have a really fantastic map. Of, and so you can go and you can look at their map and see where contamination is across the United States, and they keep updating it regularly with new data. Um, they also have a really great way where you can go um, look reach out to your member of Congress. And we need to start, these people are sent to Washington to work for us. 
So we need to start telling them what we need, and we need to start working with them. Thank them if they're doing the right thing. Hold them accountable when they're not doing the right thing. And I know you guys are headed to the Hill after this. What kind of legislation would help? Like, what would, what are you, would you ask for? What are you asking for? Oh, I know. Can I? I'm ready. <laughs> but you go ahead. You, know, you go ahead. Well, you know, I think one of the most um, frustrating things is to look at all this history and realize that we're still dealing with chemicals that are not regulated at the federal level. They are not listed as hazardous, for example, under the Superfund law. Um, you know, so communities that are forced to, to incur these costs have to go through all kinds of litigation to, tr to try to get, to recover the cost of cleaning this up. Um, you know, the, they're, they're not listed on the federal laws that require companies to report how much they're emitting or releasing out into the environment. Uh, they're not required to be listed in federal permits under the Clean Air Act or the Clean Water Act. I mean, there's, uh, there's uh, legislation, I think, that's currently pending right now that, that people could vote for to finally have these, these chemicals listed, identified. Um, so at least that the testing occurs, you know, to, re to allow people to, to have the, f the funds to actually do the testing, to, to allow folks to actually get some of this cleaned up um, and actually put the costs where they should go on the people that manufactured these and put them out into our environment and into us. You did a good job. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> but can, I would like to point out that we have an actor, a lawyer, and a Sunday school teacher sitting here today. Anybody can do this. Anybody can do this. Anybody can learn about these chemicals. Anybody can. Right, really, so we're if all I can do it. If you can do it, Mark. <laughs> anybody can do it. But what I'm saying is that we sometimes think that it has to be an actor. It has to be someone with a lot of money. It has to be the CEO of Environmental Working Group. Or it has to be a really well-connected lawyer. It doesn't. You know, if I can be up here today hanging out with these massive, amazing people, then anybody can, and we all can. And, and it's all about engaging your humanity. Whether you work for DuPont, or you work for the DOD, or you work in any layer of government at your, at your local utility, whether you're a school teacher, or you're a 10-year-old kid, you can inspire change in yourself. You have that power. You own that story. It's possible. Yeah. Thank you so much, all of you. It's, it's criminal that we've run out of time. I could talk to you all day, but thank you so much for coming, yeah, Rob, you. Emily, thank Mark, you so and thank you everyone for being with us. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com. Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.